0: Welcome to the Redemption Tempe Podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. I am your host today, AC, and I'm joined together by two dear friends, pastors on staff, John and Will. What's up, guys? Hello. What's going on? Awesome. Awesome. So as you guys know, we are heading into the season of Advent. This has historically been a season in which we look at the way that Jesus came into the world and in hopes of him coming back. Just as Israel was longing for their king to come and establish the kingdom, so too we long for our king to return and fully establish the kingdom. Amen. And so, as far as the podcast goes, something that we did last year that we're doing again this year is focusing on spiritual rhythms and practices that can form us into the image of Christ and stir up our longing for Him. But what's interesting that this year, that hasn't just been an Advent thing. We're actually in the midst of a year-long initiative called the Formed Project. John, tell us, what is the Formed Project and why are we doing it?
1: Yeah, so the Formed Project is something that we rolled out really was birthed out of a season of prayer and of listening to people in our congregation, uh, members, our sea leaders, and then also uh, people that many of the pastors are just meeting with. And it seemed like there was a real deep desire and a longing for people to commune with God and to have rhythms that they could encounter God, to be in his presence. But oftentimes in those conversations, it, it seems like a lot of people are just not aware of what some of those practices are. And and historically, many evangelicals are familiar with reading their Bible, which oftentimes can be confusing. Obviously, we know that there's certain genres of literature that are very confusing. And then also prayer. And many times people feel really weird about prayer. And so when we look at The history of the church and the people of God, that there have been many, many different ways to encounter God, to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ. And so many of these are things throughout the Old Testament that Israel did. We see this in the life of Jesus, in his kingdom ministry. And then throughout the history of the church, we see these practices that the people of God have done to be intentionally shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. But with that, also looking at our cultural moment. And looking at the practices and habits of our culture, specifically, we are oftentimes more shaped and formed by these practices and habits of our culture than we are the ways of Jesus. And so whether we realize it or not, we are all being shaped and formed by something, and we're also being shaped and formed into the image of someone or something. And so what we want to do is say, rather than being unintentionally shaped and formed by these practices in our culture, we want to take this year to say, Lord, we want to be intentionally formed into the image of your son, Jesus. And the way that we do that, is through these practices we don't make ourselves more like Jesus, but what actually happens as we engage in these practices is that the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is at work within us, growing us, shaping us, convicting us, refining us, purifying us, so that we could be more accurate reflections of the very image of Jesus. You
0: mentioned that we're going through these different practices that historically have been part of the church. One of them, the first one that we did, is hospitality. Why hospitality?
1: It's a great question. Hospitality for me personally has been something that I've really been pressing into, um, that I've done a lot of reading, a lot of research on, even in my time in seminary. But really, I am convinced that hospitality is one of the most important practices for the people of God. And we see this throughout the Bible. Um, and we see this not only in the kingdom ministry of jesus in jesus life uh here in the incarnation but also we see this all the way back in the beginning of the story in genesis is that god intentionally made a way for adam and eve to be in his presence and so the the definition working definition that that we use for hospitality is intentionally making room to give of yourself and receive the other and for our cultural moment once again looking at a lot of the aches and pains and longings of people in our society hospitality actually is an answer to a lot of those aches and pains and longings is that looking now at people are lonelier now than they ever have been there's a loneliness epidemic in America looking at the division in our society, um, the tension across all all sorts of different lines. The table is actually a place for peacemaking. The table is a place for people to be deeply known and to, be, uh, to know others and be known by others. And so really wanting to press in to say, as we look at the life of Jesus specifically, if once again the form project is to be shaped and formed more into the image of Jesus, when we look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, we see that Jesus eats his way through the Gospels. And oftentimes the Gospel of Luke is even called the Gospel of Hospitality because Luke actually focuses more on the table and meals than any other Gospel. And so what we see is that Jesus is eating intentionally with various different types of people in the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels. And so if we are looking at Jesus to model and pattern our life after him, we see that he uses table fellowship, that he eats with a variety of different people. And he does this for a lot of different reasons, but seeing that this is formative and that virtually every example of hospitality in the Bible always includes a shared meal. And so looking at, we want to practice hospitality, but specifically around the table, and we want to feast with others.
0: Hmm. It's interesting that Jesus was the recipient of the hospitality
1: in most cases, right? Yeah. yeah. He was the guest more often than the host. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of, uh, and I don't know... You guys feel, feel free to push back, Will, the resident theologian of the group, <laughs> that uh, when Jesus says, you didn't feed me, you didn't clothe me, you didn't visit me in prison, you didn't help me when I was sick, um, and they say, well, when did we ever do that? And whatever you did to the least of these did to me, like Jesus isn't just saying that. He isn't just like hypothetically identifying with the least of these, but he, as at least in terms of hospitality, was often on the receiving end.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I think there is this sense of, God not preferring uh, the marginalized, the poor throughout Scripture, but God leaning towards them, Um, this sense of God identifying with them. And I think part of it is because of what the posture of hospitality does. Hospitality embodies the gospel, Mm. right? It's this sacrificial posture, which makes, like John said, makes a way to invite the other into close proximity, as we talk about how sin separates, right, the dividing wall of hostility, all of the separation, we see the gospel tearing down that wall and inviting people close who were once strangers, right? Whether that's us from God, you know, humanity from one another, the physical creation, all of this, Jesus is is reconciling all things. And it, being reconciled implies a proximity and a closeness and an intimacy mm. that we see embodied at the table, mm. right, through hospitality. You think in our current context, everyone's talking about, you know, John touched on some of these things, social isolation loneliness how those are you know major factors that lead into terrorist acts mass shootings all of these things we look at social media the um, you know echo chamber chambers and polarization hospitality is subversive against all of those things hmm. right as we think of our you know the body of Christ being the subversive alternative witness community who's embodying a different reality right the reality of the kingdom ethic not the ethic of the world hospitality does that in very real tangible ways and i love it because it's easy right like we're going to eat food today so do we choose to do that alone do we choose to do that only with people that we know and love well or do we choose to embody the gospel in the ways that brings you know those who are on the outside in mm. i think it's a, a wonderful opportunity you know my kids can do it yeah right exactly. like we can all do this thing it's not like this crazy abstract theological concept
0: that you have to have a, a degree to get like no you share a meal with someone yeah yeah that's really good in the same vein i know you talked big picture but specifically in advent where do we see the hospitality of God?
2: We see it in in the incarnation of Christ, the the willingness to leave the comforts of heaven, to leave aspects of who this transcendent God was to, to put on humanity, this willingness to step into not the palace, but the manger, um, this willingness to continue to live a selfless life for the sake of others this you know can these continued themes of inclusion but not blind inclusion inclusion for the common good in order to demonstrate the kingdom so it's not just the woman caught in adultery is included and she can continue to be an adulteress it's no go and sin no more and the people that judged her are 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 called out for, you know, their acts as well. There's this right ordering of how sin has has disordered everything. Jesus is is reordering things seen primarily in you know in many ways, but one of the ways that he does this is through this act of hospitality of of, you know, moving into the neighborhood as Eugene Peterson says or putting mm. on flesh and walking among us, eating his yeah. way through the gospel,
1: all of these things. Jesus is embodying this reality. Mm. Um Mm. Yeah, and I, I would just, you know, to piggyback off what Will said, there's not a better example of hospitality than what we see in the Incarnation with Advent. And the fact that, you know, we, we always use what J- Eugene Peterson says about putting on flesh, moving into our neighborhood, is that literally, once again, intentionally making room to give of yourself and receive the other, that's exactly what Jesus is doing, mm. that he leaves comforts of heaven to literally choose— A life of discomfort where he's born literally into a manger and he lives a life on the margins who there was not anything beautiful or glamorous about the life that he chose but he's demonstrating hospitality because he wanted to give of himself and receive others and what we see is that through the incarnation he makes a way to truly receive others um, and that ultimately is by giving of himself which we ultimately see on the cross, um, and now we're actually not only able to come to the table, but we're also adopted into His family. And so you see this this beautiful picture of hospitality that I would say is is the best example of hospitality um, that we have.
2: I think you also see this um, this foreshadow that's that's fleshed out a little bit more in Revelation, right? And so so you see Jesus put on flesh in the incarnation, and you know, like we keep saying, move into the neighborhood, dwell with the people. In Revelation, the the fullness of that is embodied, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. God will be their god and he will be with the people. You know, we see that at the at the end of Revelation. We see this in hospitality. We get a glimpse of what that victory feast will be like.
1: Mm.
2: When we get to share a table and food with one another, right? We've had that experience where, you know, you have a good meal, you have good friends, you have good conversation. It's like, "Oh my gosh," like three hours went by. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. Right? Almost this little glimpse of like time is inconsequential because of what we're engaged, because of this relationship that we're engaging in right now. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that can be a cool, you know, foreshadowing of, of what it will be like when we can feast together, wow. when God will yes, be our God and dwell amongst us, right, mm-hmm. for eternity.
0: So John, you had mentioned that a good working definition of hospitality is um, intentionally giving of yourself to make space for the other. And I know that when you were in seminary, you did a lot of research on biblical hospitality. And so this is the, based on your research, this is the working definition that you're using. What would you say is the difference between biblical hospitality and the way that we normally think of hospitality in our culture?
1: Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's a big question. There's a lot there. Um, so I'll try to make this short. I think in America, we have the idea that in order to be hospitable, first, I, even before that, we have a hijack definition in, in America. We'll often say like, hey, you know, Will, Will and Aaron are super hospitable because they threw a Super Bowl party and they provided Tostitos and nacho cheese and had a couple of their friends over to watch a football game. And while that's good, and, and that can be an element of, you know, a sign of hospitality, that's not actual true hospitality. And what the Bible paints as hospitality and what we see in the life of Jesus is that hospitality always includes the stranger. Hospitality always includes those that typically would not get invited to things. Um, We see this once again in the life of Jesus, the people that he's intentionally giving of himself to and receiving in his life are people that are not being invited to parties. They're not being invited to feasts. They're not being invited if the Super Bowl was around there, then they're not gonna be invited to a Super Bowl party. And so we have this idea in America, for one, is that you're hospitable if you have your friends and family over. But true hospitality goes so much deeper than that as far as it's actually giving of yourself and receiving those that typically are not being received by other people. For the marginalized the vulnerable the overlooked the outcast the stranger all of these things but also we tie it to oftentimes to what we have in order to invite people in mm. and what i mean with that is like you gotta own a home and most likely if if you're going to be hospitable you got to have a good size home so that you could have you know you could throw a good party and i think what we see in the life of jesus is that jesus by and large in the gospels he is more often the guest than the host. And from what we know, he wasn't having a bunch of people over to his home. We don't even necessarily know what what that looked like, you know, from the time in his kingdom ministry, but yet he's willing to give of himself to these invites, to these parties in which he's actually becoming this scandalous person because of the people who he's feasting with and eating with and hanging out with and what that symbolized in that society at that time, one's social status. And there's so much attached to the table fellowship. And so what I would say in America is the challenge is that you actually don't need to own a home. Uh, You don't actually even need to own anything, but the willing posture to say, I'm going to give of myself, making room in my life to let you truly know me, but also I want to receive you into my life and I want to know you. And I think that that challenges this idea. And oftentimes when we throw around the word hospitality, we're never talking about people that are including those that are overlooked you know it's Mm -hmm. usually your friends and family but yet the definition is so much so much broader and deeper and so much more beautiful than the way that we oftentimes talk about it Mm. as you guys have been pressing into hospitality what's been the most surprising thing that's happened The most surprising thing, stories uh, from our redemption communities, uh, leaders, uh, RC leaders, and even in my own redemption community, people that are really trying to press into this. I think the biggest surprise is when we've been in the church for a while, we're used to being invited to things, right? Our RC gets together, we we eat together, we want to get to know people. But man, it is surprising and it's an echo and and really an evidence of the loneliness in our society is that people outside the church genuinely don't really get invited to things outside of their pre-existing friend group. And oftentimes there's almost like as people in our church have been inviting people to share a meal and try to get to know them, there's almost a, a shock and there's almost a skepticism of like, what are you going to do to me? Why are you invite <laughs> me over to your house? You know, you're going to try to like uh, baptize me or you're going to, you know, you're going to try to proselytize me or or you know, you're going to cast some sort of weird uh, Christian deal on me? Like what are you guys going to do? And when people come to the table and they share a meal and they don't experience that, they're shocked. It creates question, it creates interest, and actually it creates the desire for more of that. And I've seen that uh, play out time and time again is that people are just, they're shocked that it's like, wait, you know, you're my neighbor. And, you know, typically you drive in, you close your garage door, go in your house before anybody can see you. And yet then you invite your neighbor over. And then as you start to hear their stories, like, man, they don't get invited to people's houses. And the fact that they don't know anyone else in the neighborhood, but yet you have reached out or the coworker that you guys, you know, uh, maybe have grabbed lunch a few times, but you invited your coworker and their spouse over and maybe they have kids and, and they came over and you're like, you realize, man, these people are lonely. you know they're, they're not a part of a church community. They're not a part of you know any sort of hobby type of group, but yet they have the same deep longing that we all have that God has created us to know and to be known. And there's just there's a increased desire when people receive that. Mm. Um, and so I, I'm just blown away I think the biggest surprise is I'm more and more convinced people just don't get invited places outside of like their longtime friends and, and when they do they're just like man this is this is great let's do this again you know mm-hmm. and there's like there's a longing for more mm.
0: so the three of us we were part of a team that went yeah. to Guatemala um, and then uh, and we'll we'll tell you this guy's story in a little bit but while we were there John was called Mama Juana
1: Um. (laughs) Mama Juana, I think Jim Mullins, uh, you know, really paved the way for this. He said that I have the mind of a theologian, the heart of a shepherd, and the wardrobe of a soccer mom from the 1990s.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, yes. It was such a great time. Great time we went down there. Um, One of the things that we experienced was hospitality. Before we unpack that, uh, Will, can you tell us What were we doing in Guatemala? Yes.
2: So as a church, this was our third trip to... Guatemala, but our first trip with a new organization that we're beginning a partnership with called Vitas Pletas, and uh, that roughly translates to like abundant life, sort of fullness of life. We were able to, to work in um, some of their academies that they have in a neighborhood called La Limonada, and so La Limonada has been identified as one of the largest slums is the language that's used in all of Central America. Um, everything you would kind of expect if you've ever heard Central America talked about on the news, you know, high violence, high crime, low resources, you know, rampant drug use, gangs, that, that whole deal. And so we started this partnership with Vitas Planus primarily because Aaron and I got to know this woman named, named Tita, who started the ministry 20, 25 years ago. And she had a miraculous conversion experience and just really faithfully believed that Jesus calls us to love our neighbors. So she started doing prayer walks in this community and getting to know the people, demonstrating hospitality, right? She would bring these pots of, of beans and rice to share with people who are hungry. And as she got to know the people, she got to see the beauty in their stories, the way God was moving in that community, but also hear a lot of the needs. And so after some time, she approached her local church and said, Hey, like we need to help, you know, there's huge need there. And, and the pastor basically told her like, are you crazy? Like Lolly, we know what happens in that community. If you go in there, you're going to be killed. Hmm. And she said, well, I've been going in there for three years. Mm. And she just basically saw that through relationship, the kingdom was beginning to be demonstrated. And so prayerfully, you know, she she would ask God, what would you have? Got to know the people, ask the people, what are the needs? Rather than just assuming from the outside that she knew what the needs were. And and really the things that came up were um, prevention, Mm. right? There was so much gang violence. She talks about going to so many funerals that it seems like she needed to focus on the children. Um, to prevent them from entering into some of these lifestyles. So Hmm. she, she was able to um, build an academy that, um, you know, as you guys saw, there's education going on, there's Bible study going on, there's health, nutrition, kids are getting vitamins, they're taught proper hand washing, there's Hmm. Um, nurses for medical needs are psychologists for trauma and and working through those types of issues and and there's a place where the kids feel safe yeah you know um, which i think is is huge and so we were able to to do some teaching there to do some some you know bible studies with the kids you know we we taught and and i think it was great uh i my experience and you guys can speak to this i feel like we learned way more than we taught on this trip
0: why guatemala though it's so far, like we're here in Arizona, you know, some people would be like, we should just focus on our city and that's it. Why Guatemala?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's so far and it's a, I mean, what was it, like a couple hour flight? <laughs> yeah. It's so far and it just costs a few hundred bucks to get there. It's so far and there are a ton of Guatemalan people in our state as a border state um, that is not notorious or is not well known for showing hospitality hmm. towards people coming into our state. Uh, we felt like this was a great opportunity to to love our neighbors in this place where God has called us in this particular season that, you know, I mean, it's not a surprise immigration, asylum seeking families are, have become politicized. And, and there's two things that are true as we approach this topic. Number one is that there is healthy room for debate about policies. We should talk about policies as it relates to how many folks are let in, the process, all of those things. That's healthy to debate politically. As Christians, it is a clear commandment in both the Old and New Testaments that our posture must be one of hospitality. If it is not one of hospitality, we are guilty of disobedience. Ezekiel tells us, Right. That the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was for a number of things. And one of those included posture towards the vulnerable, a lack of hospitality towards the vulnerable. Mm. The law is full of these social justice commandments. Right. That demand our posture towards the widow, the orphan and and the foreigner, the alien, the sojourner, the immigrant be one of love and hospitality and inclusion. So while we can talk about how that plays itself out politically, policy, that's a good debate. Our posture is commanded
1: Mm.
2: Uh, and there's no wiggle room on that right? So, so that was one of the, one of the other reasons, you know, as we want to be a church that reflects the community that we're in, we understand that there's a large Hispanic community in Arizona and and we would love to, to get to know those brothers and sisters more, to learn from them, to to serve them in ways that we can here and and also globally in Guatemala. It's also really cool how God works things out and seeing Redemption Flagstaff, Redemption Tucson, also being involved in ministries in Guatemala and just, Hmm. you know, having those brothers and sisters in Christ go down there and, and being able to partner with them as well. So there was, there's a number of reasons why, why there. But, um, I I think the thing I'm most excited about is, you know, on these trips is we're encountering faithful believers in Guatemala. And this isn't just true of Guatemala, but in our experience, man, we have been so discipled. Mm, We have been so challenged and encouraged in our faith. We have learned so much, you know, all of us are, are, Mm. have been in or are in seminary. And, you know, we've all had this experience of just Gosh, we learn so much from these from these brothers and sisters, from these family members of, you know, the family of God.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think of um the nature of the church, of God's people from Genesis twelve onward, blessed to be a blessing, so that blessing would flow to all nations, not just down the street. Jesus, if you're like, oh, I'm not big on the Old Testament. Well, I mean, Jesus was, but Jesus, he also <laughs> said, as you go into all nations, make disciples. This is this, this, like outward focus is our identity. And so if we have this inward focus, we are denying who we are as the people of
3: God. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So bringing this back to hospitality, now that we've talked about why we were there and what we were doing there, how did we experience hospitality in Guatemala? Um, one, just in being invited in. The dynamics of the
2: neighborhood that we served in are, are complicated. And Tita and, and her team have spent, you know, like I said, 20, 25 years building relationships in there. And so there's a sense of vulnerability of you're inviting these groups from the states who may or may not speak the language, mm. don't know the culture. There is There's a possibility that we could do damage to the relationships that they've been cultivating for decades. And through relationship with them and some of their leaders, you know, in that trust that, that allowed us to enter in, you know, I think we experienced hospitality. One of the big components of the trip is uh, we do these these house visits, these prayer walks where we just kind of walk around. And as we encounter people, strike up conversations, ask if we can pray for them. And it was incredible, you know, how many homes we were invited into, how many Chairs we were given, you know, seats on the bed we Mm. were given. Um, Would you guys like anything? You know, just the sharing of resources, the sharing of time, the sharing of stories. Mm -hmm. You know, people were sharing some of their deepest hurts and and longings and and sorrows. And we were invited in. Mm. You know, that's a sense of hospitality to be entrusted with those stories Mm -hmm. and invited in to, to intercede, you know, to pray for them. The food, the cult. Mm-hmm. let's talk about the hospitality of the culture, <laughs> right? The food that we were welcome to enjoy. Yeah. You know, spending a day in Antigua, this beautiful city and just enjoying, you know, we talk about how, um, because we're all image bearers, we see, we see reflections of God in every culture. We see cultural idolatry, right? The, the reality of sin, but there is good in every culture and we got to enjoy some of the good.
0: Taste it.
3: Heck Ooh, yeah. Best
0: tacos I've ever had, man. Yes. Oh, man. Pollo Campero, bro. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> AC.
1: AC's nickname is Pollo65 over here. He likes fried chicken. So he had some Guatemalan fried chicken. Best, best thing ever. Better than Popeyes. Yeah. Hey. I, I think, too, just to add to that, you know, when we're talking about the difference between, you know, how our society, Americans, talk about hospitality and then biblical hospitality, I think what we experienced in Guatemala was truly a picture of biblical hospitality. And when we're doing these home visits, these people are welcoming us into their home, which obviously the folks listening to this weren't there. And so it's, it's as Will said, it's complicated. Um, you can't really describe the neighborhood. Um, pictures don't even do justice until you're walking in it. But the folks welcomed us who literally have nothing. I mean, the, the poverty in which they find themselves in. Um, and, the, and the situation, and the pain, and the injustice, but yet they were willing to make room to give of themselves and receive us as the other. And with that, we were then challenged to make room in our lives to give of ourselves and receive them, who typically are people that are not being invited to the parties. you mm-hmm. know. And so once again, if you use that Super Bowl kind of image as the definition of hospitality, these people welcomed us into their small, tiny places where they lived. They had nothing to give us except for themselves and sometimes didn't have anywhere for us to sit. But what they did is they willingly shared their life, their story, their pain, their wisdom. We had a lot to learn from them, their faith, the prayerfulness of these people. And then also in that, they really gave of themselves to us and enabled us to have a glimpse into not only the neighborhood but also into their lives and we got to partner with them in prayer um and it was it was beautiful it really was just this contrasting definition hmm. of how we define hospitality versus in what what would be categorized as will said as a slum the hospitality of these people was just amazing mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah man and, and then i remember will when we were talking about this there Lisa, who who was uh, the lead, she leads all the teams that come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she leads all the teams that come down. She uh, she asked us, "Did you guys ever feel at risk in times we went into these very violent neighborhoods?" No, not at all. And I remember Will you remarked that like we had to wait outside of La for our bodyguards to arrive, like our protectors, those who would safeguard us from violence. And these, this protection came in the form of four foot Guatemalan women. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like the teachers there have these relationships and just the hospitality of like inviting us into the benefit of this relationship that's taken years of hard work and sacrifice to make. Mm-hmm. And we're just stepping off a plane
1: and walking right into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that the powerful thing too, you know, with those very small Guatemalan women. It's actually a picture, when we say bodyguard, prayerfulness of these people. I've never been around people that pray more, and, and something for us as the American church that we learned and can really glean a lot of wisdom from is the prayerfulness. And they truly were our bodyguards, and not in the sense that they, we had some UFC fighters you know, walking through this very violent, dangerous neighborhood with us. No, Will, the UFC fighter, yeah. <laughs> the MMA practitioner, was protected. Yeah, Will, Will was That's protected, right. but we were protected by their prayer, hmm. um, specifically these women that are saturated in prayer, that, that pray through this neighborhood, and knowing that the Spirit of God was the one that was protecting us in an area where they are very, very keenly aware of, of the powers of evil that are at work, um, the amount of injustice, the amount of evil that they said specifically that they know that they have to pray because the powers of darkness and the powers of evil are so present and at work in this neighborhood that everything they're doing is impossible without prayer. And so we were, we were protected by these women because of their faithfulness in prayer and knowing mm. that the spirit of God was going before us, was walking with us and going behind us. And it was, it was beautiful. So let me
2: share this. Um, as I've reflected since we've gotten home the last few weeks, I think this may be the image that stuck with me the most. We were on the prayer walk with Tita and she took us up this little, you know, kind of side alley up these stairs. And, and we looked over, um, you know, the ravine uh, where La Limonada is situated. And in the center of it, you could see one of the academies and it's this bright, pink you know brightly colored building kind of standing above everything else just this beacon of hope and then she says if you look directly up you can see um the the building that houses the guatemalan justice system right and the building is facing in the opposite direction so there's this visual of the justice of the country turning its back on this community But then this organic spirit led little beacon of hope, and and she's kind of reflecting on this, Tita's reflecting on this. And I asked her, I said, hey, are there any areas in the Guatemalan justice system where you see hope? And her first response was, let me ask the spirit if I can say this, which I guarantee at no point in my life, if anyone has asked (laughs) my opinion about anything, did I say, let me ask the spirit for permission to say, what for, you know, just the prayerfulness in that was astounding. So then, you know, she takes a minute and you can tell, you know, she's thinking, she's processing, she's waiting for the spirit. And she says, okay, I can say this. No, I don't see any areas of hope. Hmm. And I'm thinking like, man, I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting bitter. You know, I'm going to come down here and start a program. Right. And I said, so what does that do? Does that, does that for you, your staff, the people in this community, does that make you frustrated with God that you don't see hope? And she laughed at me like, what? no. <laughs> God is the God of justice. Hmm. God brings justice. Amos, right? The justice rolled down like the mighty waters, right? Revelate. We know that God will bring justice. The only option we have is to trust God for justice. Hmm. We can't put our, our faith in governments and, you know, Psalms talks a lot about this faith in the kings and the princes, hmm. you know, all these things. Like it's, it's foolishness, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and just that, that glimpse of one reliance on, right? Am I allowed to say this spirit, right? The, that there's no other option but hope in who God is and who in his promises. Oh, it was so deeply convicting. and mm. so encouraging. And like, where's there room for angst, right? Mm. We can't get angsty and bitter and, you know, all oh, these people, right? Because it's just hope in God mm. and reliance in God. Oh, it's so beautiful. What do you hope comes from our partnership with Vidas Plenis? Yeah, I think the easiest answer is just relationship. We as a church have so much that we can learn. From, from the brothers and sisters in Christ down there and in, in faithfulness and reliance on God and prayer and loving and serving the most overlooked, you know, so many things. Uh, and that was a theme that kept coming up on our team as we would, you know, kind of reflect and debrief every night is like, gosh, we just feel discipled. And so that, that's, I think, one of the primary things is how can we as, as a church be in relationship with, with the Vitas Planet staff, with the community in, in La Limonada, um, have as much of a reciprocating relationship as possible. You know, not to nerd out too much in in the history of missions, but there was this you know long time where people from the West came with all the knowledge and all the resources, and uh, we realized that, that that was way too close to colonialism, and so we realized that we needed to repent from that. Then there's almost this reaction of like everything from the West is horrible, and if you're from a, a you know a third world country, then you have all the answers and you're great. Um, and there is some reality in that, but but we know that the gospel affirms and critiques every single culture. And so we don't want to come in with all the answers, but the reality is we have some great training here. We have a lot Mm -hmm. of financial resources. We have a lot that we can share as well. Uh, But my hope and prayer is that we would kind of even that power dynamic as much as possible and realize we have things to give and to receive and they have things to give and to receive like any healthy relationship. Mm. So so that's the prayer that we would continue to send teams primarily to learn. We call these trips service learning trips. Mm. So we go to serve and we go to learn. Um, And we had that experience when we went in October, you know, also. That, that we would be able to share financially with them of the resources that God has blessed us with. But then also that not only would we send teams there, but, you know, God willing, our, our hope and our prayer is that we would be able to bring folks from Guatemala to Redemption Tempe, you know, so that we yeah. can learn as a congregation. Yeah. Um. Because of the dynamics of the trip, the largest team we could bring is 10. Hmm. And, you know, we have a church of way more than 10. So I think in order to... to engage as many people as possible in these relationships being able to bring people um you know to to redemption Tempe that we can learn from that we can pray with that we can just be in relationship with you know uh that that's
0: one of my big hopes so as we round third and head for home um we're gonna uh, i have like one final serious question for you guys but before we get into that um i mentioned this in the earlier earlier in the podcast episode that John, you received the nickname Mama Wana.
1: Yeah, we need to clarify that, please.
0: Yeah, we need to, that. That story needs to be told. Let the
1: people know why. Will
2: you want Let me to tell know. the story? Yes. Every night after we would serve, we would come home and have a home cooked meal and sit at the table and talk about our day and debrief on, you know, what was the spirit doing and and all of those things. And so uh, as everyone was getting their plate and sitting down, I I just happened to be one of the last folks that that evening and and the last seat available was at the head of the table. And somebody had made the comment of like, oh, Will's going to be dad tonight. And John was sitting at At the the, foot at at the foot of the table. (laughs) And so I made the comment that John can be mom. Well, then our, our partners with Vitas Planus, you know, kind of caught on to this and thought it was funny because we would have two teams when we would need to split up, you know, my team, dad's team, and John's team, mom's team. So by the end of, of the uh, week, <laughs> they started calling them Mama Wana, right? Because,
1: <laughs> yeah. And so. my team was team mom the whole week. <laughs> the whole week, team, <laughs> team mom. mom, team mom. So we, we get to uh, take the gospel and God's word very seriously but we don't take ourselves seriously, so I got to make fun of myself the whole the whole week. And then when I was introduced to all of these Guatemalans, um, Team Mom, they raised their eyebrow and they're like, "Wait, what? Like, what, what, what? What's going on?" So we had to tell this story over and over again. So it ended up being a funny thing. Yeah, oh, that's great. So
0: as we're in this season of Advent, how can we, as a congregation, even if we don't get to be a part of the ten person trip? and we're still waiting for someone from Guatemala to come, how can we participate in this partnership?
3: Hmm.
2: yeah, we can give. The focus of our Advent offering this year will be on Blessing Vitas Planas. And they have a couple things going on. They're, they're in the process of building a new academy. Um, just quickly, there's 10 neighborhoods in La Limonada, and because of, of gang violence, it's not really safe for folks to cross from one neighborhood to the other. So the long-term goal of the ministry is that they would have 10 academies one in each of the neighborhoods right now uh, the fifth academy should be should be opening in the spring so we have an opportunity to partner with some of the um the initiatives that they're doing with the new academy we realize in conversations that you know as they're doing their capital campaign for this new this new facility you know the oldest one is about 20 years old and so it could use some renovations and so we're talking with them about the specifics of of what we'll be doing with these funds um, they have we were we were blown away every academy has this uh, psychologist's office that has some really really great e- equipment that they use for the interventions with the kids for doing parenting classes with the parents to address um, trauma and mm. And all of these things. So, so there are plenty of opportunities uh, for us to, to be generous with the financial resources that God has given us uh, in order to, to share with them and, and to bless them and their efforts down there. So that's right now the easiest way that, that we can be participating with them. And of course, of course, of course, prayer. Uh, we experienced that over and over. We've, we've alluded to it, you know, just the, um, the necessity of prayer in that situation. You know, it was, it was challenging for me. My role here is, you know, local and global engagement. So I get stuck in the mindset of like, okay, here's an issue in our community. What resources do we have to help this issue? How can we problem solve? Who can we call? What uh, relational networks can we capitalize on? All of these things. The first flinch there is, oh, there's an issue. We need to pray. God is the provider. And, and so I know, that as I asked them, the number one thing they said was prayer first. Yeah, you know, which was striking for me because they know. I mean, we're rich Americans, right? How easy is it? Oh, you know, you can give us some money. That that didn't come up until much later in the conversation. The first thing was always, please pray for us. Please pray for it. Pray for our families. Pray for the kids. Pray for the ministry. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the psychologists. Pray for the prayer walks. Pray. I mean, it's just prayer, prayer, prayer. So please pray, pray, and and also give money.
0: Yeah, oh, it's so good, man. Um, and. The, the last thing I want to highlight, just for you guys listening, is that it's such a beautiful thing Vitas Plenus is doing because it is a holistic way of um, serving people. Like, make no mistake about it. When we went there and we preached the gospel to people, them kids knew the gospel already. Yes. yes. They know Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Like, they are preaching Jesus out of their ears. Like, yes. Jesus is everywhere. But they also have psychologists. They also get fed. They have vitamins. They're taught hygiene, hygiene and Nurses. on and on and on. Reading the nurses, the nurses, yeah, the whole being mental, emotional, physical, spiritual is being cared for in one of the most vulnerable places in the world.
1: Yeah. And, and what I loved so much is it doesn't just stay in the academies where these kids are going to school, but, um, it, it bleeds out into the community. And so when Will's talking about these prayer walks that we do, these home visits, um, the teachers of these academies are walking from house to house and they're going and they're visiting people. And even the school nurses are coming and they're actually acting as like community health care. We visited a lady who had been shot in the spine by a gang and she's paralyzed from the waist down. Her four-year-old is her caretaker and she's got bed sores and the school nurses are acting as community health care. There's these two nurses that go and they, they clean her bed sores and they take care of her. And so it's not just confined to the kids in the, in the schools, but these teachers are actually serving in holistic ways for the entire community. And it was just amazing to see. And just to put a number on it so you guys know, uh, Will said there's four academies and they're opening a fifth, but there's 52 staff for Vitas Plenas. 49 of those are women. Um, three are men. Uh, one of the men, his name's C- uh, Cesar, and he was with us the entire time. Um, but it's just it's amazing to see that exactly what AC is saying. They are preaching the gospel. The other two men that work for the organization are Christian and Jorge, and they work with the gang members. They're literally building relationships with these guys called muchachos and sharing the gospel. They're walking around with the Bible. They're doing amazing when we talk about street preaching. I mean, they, they're not. Doing it with a sign on the corner, like what we <laughs> see, but they're building relationships and talking to these muchachos about about the good news of Jesus. And so, it's really incredible when we say holistic; it's not just for the kids, but um, I mean, it's for the entire community. And and so, it was it was beautiful to see, um, and it truly was a demonstration and a proclamation of the coming kingdom of mm. Jesus.
0: Mm. So good, thank you, Mabuana. Thank
1: you, Will. See, absolutely. (laughs) We'll catch you guys next week.
3: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Tempe podcast. We believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Redemption is one church in nine local congregations across the state of Arizona. Our vision at Redemption Tempe is to create disciples of Jesus who seek the reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. each week. You can learn more about us and how to get plugged into the life of our church by downloading our phone app called Redemption Church Tempe or on our website at Tempe.RedemptionAZ.com. And lastly, we would love to hear from you. Please send any questions or feedback you might have about this podcast or our church by emailing Tempe at RedemptionAZ.com. Thank you for listening. and We'll catch you next week.